As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. Well, hey, and good morning. Good to see you this morning. Um, so I've been all week in Michigan on the shores of Lake Michigan at a camp uh, doing a series and uh, two things that relate to this. First of all, I, I preached there Sunday morning, a week ago today, and then Sunday night and every night of the week. And, um, but anyway, after Sunday morning, they announced, they, they introduced me and said I was, you know, Professor Wheaton College and a teaching pastor at High Point Church. And so everyone comes up afterwards, do you know Ron Zappia? Do you know him? Like, yes, I know him. He's my friend. And, uh, and Jody, yes, yes, we know them. I mean, he's like, he's like a rock star over at Maranatha Missionary Conference Center. And I guess they had just been there, and so that was super fun. But also, too, just to confess, we're actually in Proverbs. This is actually the Summer of Wisdom, a study in Proverbs. But I've been preaching from Psalms all week, and I've preached this message. This will be my fifth time to have preached this message uh, because you know, I pre-recorded it and then three services already this morning. And I have noticed that I keep saying Psalms when I mean Proverbs. So if I say Psalms, I want you to hear Proverbs. Because that's what we're talking about, is this is from the book of Proverbs today. So if you have a Bible, open it up, turn to the book of Proverbs. We're going to talk about today, the wise use wealth for good. But there's actually five words about how the wise use wealth for good. So if you're, if you're a note taker, this is easy, because there's five words are my points. If you're not a note taker, but you've said, hey, I might want to try this note taking, give this a shot. You'll actually remember more of the message if you jot some of this down. And this is an easy way to do it. I got five words, the wise use wealth for good. Five words about how the wise use use wealth for goods. Here's my whole outline, right? The wise consecrate what they have to God, steward themselves and their things well, see their resources as a blessing, work with diligence and live with generosity. That's it right there. That's the entire outline right there. Now, just to remind you about the book of Proverbs. So Proverbs generally make comparisons. Uh, throughout the book of Proverbs, there are comparisons that the reader, you and me, can apply to life. Sometimes they make a contrast between things or people like a fool or the wise. We see that here, right? Or uh, Proverbs, by very nature, talk about consequences, right? One of the greatest missing lessons in life today seems to be in homes and schools and government, anywhere the people are involved, actions have consequences. And Proverbs regularly give us consequences for the choices we make. So interpreting Proverbs, it's really important that you remember that they are Proverbs, not promises or laws. So it's what we call genre. Let's talk about genre for just a minute. You've already heard this, but let me remind you. So you already know, you use the term, you think in terms about genre already. So things have a genre. Like think about music, right? Some of you like classical music. That's a genre. Some of you like country music. I don't understand you, but some of you like country music. Some of you like 80s rock and roll, as well you should, and that's a genre, right? You could like hip hop, you could like all kinds of different things, EDM for that matter. Um, so, and you'll have award shows, you'll have genres, they give away awards based on genres, uh, though they don't include 80s rock and roll, which is a tragedy. So, so a genre is, is sort of a theme, a way, a structure. So the Bible is actually made up of books, 66 books, 
written and they come from a different genre. Uh, this is from what we call the wisdom literature. So the book of Proverbs is wisdom literature. And so the epistles are a different genre. There's apocalyptic literature, it's a genre. There's the law, the prophets, there are different genre. And, and here, this is wisdom literature. So with wisdom literature, they are general truths under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the inerrant word of God. They're general truths for everyday life, not a timeless law for eternity or a promise for immediate fulfillment, right? So the main characters in the book of Proverbs are the wise, the godly, the righteous, the one category, maybe who are growing in skills, giving, given to life and wisdom for fear of the Lord, and the fool, uh, and I pity the fool, because the fool is the wicked who is supposed to, uh, who's, who's opposed to God's wisdom and rule. And then there's actually a third category we won't see much in what we look at today, the verse we look at today, and that's the simple or the gullible, the easily misled who are not committed to wisdom or folly, but kind of just easily misled. So, so this week, we're gonna look at a collection of Proverbs around the topic of wealth and resources and five things we'll get today. Number one is consecration. All five words are gonna have a meaning that help us to wise words for how the wise handle wealth. And the first one is the word consecration. Now, consecration is not a word we commonly use. You may not be regularly familiar with it but you've probably seen things consecrated before. Maybe it's kind of like dedicated. You've maybe seen a tile dedicated. Someone, I actually call it a consecration. Uh, maybe you've been in a liturgical church where they consecrate the bread and the wine. So consecrate means to set aside, uh, set aside as for the Lord in this case. So let's look at, at the passage. It's, it's Proverbs chapter three, uh, verses nine and 10. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So the first is the command. The second is the consequence of that command. The command is honor the Lord, consecrate your wealth, honor the Lord with your wealth. So how do we consecrate our wealth? How do we honor the Lord with our wealth? Because we don't want to slight the Lord. You know, the, the, uh, the opposite of honor is to slight. Um, you know, I haven't done a lot of international travel, but I'm a missiologist by training, and I would train people in different countries around the world. And whenever I'd go there, I'd try to avoid offending people in their culture. You know, so Don and I will actually be living for a few months in the UK this fall, um, teaching there. And, and that's really, I, like, I have no preparation to do there because they are already offended by Americans, and it's fine. Uh, and so they actually, on July 4th, they all put up their little memes that said, happy treason day, ungrateful colonials. So we see, you know, so I'm okay with that. But you go to a culture that's really different, uh, like in Japan. I was in Japan one year training church planters and missionaries there. And while I was there, I, um, you know, I, I wanted to learn to avoid uh, cultural faux pas or making mistakes or dishonoring or slighting somebody. So I, I, I read up on it. And so I learned the proper bow. Um, I learned how to address older people and younger people, which is actually different. And I, I thought I brushed up pretty well. But when I got there, I was talking in this small group seminar. I'd spoke to the large group. I was in a small group seminar. And I kind of leaned on a table and I could see that several people tensed up. Turns out that's kind of an offensive thing to lean on a table. You don't put your body on a table. And I was like, oh, I worked hard. But they, they kind of, you know, immediately they were fine because they know I'm an American. They know I wasn't trying to cause offense. But, but you, would, you don't want to slight somebody by dishonoring them. So how might we dishonor the Lord 
with our wealth. Well, here's how. We haven't consecrated it to the Lord. Somebody probably told you along the way that uh, God owns 10% of what you have. And what I want to say to you is that's actually not correct. Um, God doesn't own 10% of what you have. God owns 100% of what you have. If you're a follower of Jesus, everything you have belongs to the Lord. And he calls us to give, and that's a mark of generosity. We'll talk about that later. But we have to start with consecrating it all to the Lord. It belongs to the Lord. Whether you have a little or whether you have a lot. And that might feel different whether you have a little or a lot. Let me give you an example. So I first learned this principle when I was uh, in early in college. I didn't have a lot. Um, grew up relatively, we didn't have a lot growing up. We were on public assistance at times. So I went off to college um, when, and my parents couldn't help, so I was sort of on my own working and didn't have a lot, but trying to make it through. And I had a car, really a bad car. It was just a lousy car. And, uh, and it kept breaking down, and I keep putting money in it. And I was, trying to, I was trying to live within my means. I consecrated all that I had to the Lord. I wanted to be generous. I had very little to be generous with, but I wanted to be generous. But this car kept breaking down. And then I remembered this principle, that everything I have belongs to the Lord. So I prayed one day and said, Lord, what are you going to do with your lousy car? <laughs> it's not working out, Lord. You really need to have a plan for your lousy car. Um, so I actually made a little index card about the size of this, and I put it uh, on my steering wheel right in the middle where the horn would be, and it just said, God's car. Uh, <laughs> and I'm not sure God was really wanted that car, but, but here it belonged to me, so it belonged to the Lord, and I could trust the Lord in the midst of my finances. So one of the things I learned early on, if I consecrated everything that I had to the Lord and acknowledged that it belonged to him, it removed this stress, it removed my tendency to slight the Lord or dishonor the Lord. This is yours, Lord, I'm relying on you. There are other things, it's not just this, there are other things that are gonna flow out of this, but Lord, this is yours. And I would encourage you to walk that way because whenever I didn't do that, I actually found myself caught up in, even though I might not have had a lot, I found myself caught up, distracted, my devotion shifted away from the Lord into my things. I, when, you, when you consecrate your things to the Lord, your focus is on your Savior, not on your stuff. Now, there's two things here, right? Wealth points to our capital. Honor the Lord with your wealth. That's what you have produce is to your revenue. That's what you make. So honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce, right? So, so, so how do we, honor, by, by saying all that belongs to the Lord, it's the Lord's, it's God's car. Still my car today is still God's car. So five things, this is first one, beginning with consecrating it all to the Lord. The wise consecrate what they have to God, steward themselves and their things well, see their resources as a blessing, work with diligence, and live with generosity. We're at number one, let's go to number two, is stewardship. Five words, five key words that the wise use wealth for good. Stewardship. Um, so stewardship is a word that maybe we're more familiar with than consecrate, um, but Proverbs 21, verse 20, gives us a hint of what this is about. Precious treasure and oil are in the wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. Remember how this constant contrast between the wise man and the foolish man. So precious oil and treasure are in a wise man's dwelling. In other words, he has enough that he actually has a little more. However, the foolish man devours it, so he has actually used it all up. Now remember, the two main characters in Proverbs are the wise and the foolish, the gullible and simple are the third. Um, and, and so here this passage is, this is not a, this is not a God's gonna make you rich if you do these things, but the idea here is, is that obviously the, uh, the wise man has not used up. The wise man is spending less than he is earning. The foolish man 
is spending, devouring, more than he is earning. So again, this is very practical. It's not some pie in the sky idea that what's called the prosperity gospel. Let me explain that for just a minute. So the prosperity gospel is a false teaching that's very prevalent in Christian television programs. It's not, not every person on television. But the idea here is, is that God is some sort of cosmic ATM. You, you put in $100 and you get back $10,000, right? And people actually say, if you'll sow a seed of $1,000, God will send back many times over. And I can tell you, I've, I've given before and not received anything back other than the blessing and the privilege of, of giving generously. Um, the, the idea is it's almost more like an a, a slot machine than an ATM, right? Put in this and you just, you don't have no idea, but you're gonna get a whole lot back and you're always winning. And that's called the prosperity gospel. And there's a very technical theologically, theological term for that teaching. It's called baloney. Because um, it just doesn't work that way. It's not, it's not true. But stewardship is the kind of thing the Lord calls us to. So it's not... You know, be a bad steward, but then send some money to this ministry and you'll get back and then you can be a bad steward again. The idea here is, is that we can actually be good stewards all along. Proverbs 13, 11 puts it this way. Waste, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Um, gained hastily refers to ill-gotten gain. It's more honestly little by little, but that requires us to be a steward to, to live within or below our means and more. Now, this kind of verse is really, would be a great verse to put at every place they sell the lottery. Um, and a lottery is a perfect example of this, right? So you, you may ask, well, Ed, are you saying the lottery is sinful? And I don't think it's sinful, but I do think it's stupid. Um, and some of you got kids and you're like, the pastor just said stupid and I've just ruined your whole day. So I apologize for that. But Here's the thing, there was actually a study done, it was reported in Business Insider, and the study found, they actually calculated what the value of a $1 ticket was when you factor in who wins, the long run value, all that kind of stuff, and it's worth about 37 cents. So for every dollar you put in, it's worth about 37 cents. You're further more likely to get struck by lightning than to win um, big, a big lottery, and yet Americans spent over, well, tens of billions of dollars on lotteries. Now, why? Because there's something about the foolish person who's drawn towards that. And I don't want you to be that person. I, I want you to, and, and what's interesting too when it comes to lottery, um, poor people are more likely to participate in the lottery than rich people, unemployed people. And I understand people say, well, I just need some hope. That's not the place to find hope. The find a place to find hope is to consecrate all you have to the Lord and seek to be a steward of what he gives you. Does that make sense? So, so there's a distinction between the two. Now we offer financial classes here at High Point, uh, Financial Peace University. Uh, I actually learned a lot of this in Crown Financial. I mean, just a long time ago, learned these things. And again, you'll take classes and they can last 10 weeks and they're really good. I'm very pro these classes, but here's what I want you to hear. What it, what it boils down to is, is you should spend less than you make. There you go. I just saved you 11 weeks of your time. Uh, now, now again, I still think you should do the class because I think what it did, it taught us the patterns of how you would do that. How do I not get caught up? I mean, part of our challenge is in our life as we long, when we lost our focus on stewardship, again, we were doing pretty good when it was God's car in college. We got married, we, uh, we and when I, when I married her, uh, I, I got a reverse dowry. So uh, she came with $20,000 in debt, college debt. So it's like, hey, welcome to the marriage. You're expensive. Um, but, but the reality was, um, we 
racked up credit card debt. You know, and actually, what we found out was is that you can actually, like the credit cards will send you these fake checks and you can fill out these fake checks and they, they go on your credit card at like 28%, but then you can pay off this credit card with that check and they don't care, so they do it. And then, you, and then when you get behind on that one, you pay off that credit card with this one. And so we actually, and listen, I just probably led some of you into sin if you didn't know that. Uh, don't do that. Because what happened was, is we found ways to live outside of our means. We didn't consecrate all we had to the Lord. We started looking at what the neighbors had as newlywed couples, as newlywed couple. We started looking at what they had. We wanted more. We tried to gain, waste, uh, gain wealth hastily using credit card. We got to the place where we sat down crying over a dinner table one day saying, I think we need to declare bankruptcy. And for us, stewardship became getting us back on financial track. So again, these words really do make a difference. I don't want you to miss these words, right? These are five words the wise use to help the wise use wealth for good. So consecration is number one, it's all the Lord's. Stewardship is number two. Let's go to number three on our outline is blessing. Blessing, okay? We all wanna be blessed, but it's seeing wealth as a blessing from the Lord. Let's look at Proverbs 10, 22. It says, the blessing of the Lord makes rich he adds no sorrow with it. Okay, that's interesting phrasing. We'll unpack it a little bit. Because wise and righteous people don't always possess wealth. Mostly they don't possess wealth. Nor does wealth always point to wisdom or righteousness. There are people who got a lot of wealth that lack wisdom and righteousness for sure. But God is the source of all good things and one of the blessings he does provide is financially. Now, now again, I want you to hear that, that here in this room or watching it online, people have different levels and people say, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm middle class or lower middle class or upper middle class or wherever I might be. Um, but here's what I want you to hear. By the standards of the people who read this thousands of years ago, all of us are immeasurably rich. We are the most wealthy people they would have possibly imagined. Almost all of you came here today in a box with tires and glass windows with air conditioning in it. And that is just a concept that, that people who walked for miles to go to their place of worship. It's just such a concept and, and around the world too. So, so the Chicago Tribune in 2016, the Chicago Tribune uh, stated, they did a little, I don't know, research analysis that if your net assets, let me help you with your net assets. So your net assets are everything you own minus everything that you've borrowed. So like if you have your car and you've got some money pay off on it, but it's, so it's got a thousand dollars in value or, or your phone, you know, your phone or your clothes, or if you've got an apartment, your furniture, if you own a home, the, the, the part of your home that's paid for. If your net assets add up, this is 2016, uh, numbers have changed since then, inflation has been a thing. Um, but if 2016, your net assets are $3,210, which most of us are, you're richer than 50% of the world's population today. If it's $68,800, you're in the top 10% of people in the whole world. Now, why does that all matter? Because I think for us to perceive this, one of the, way, the words that help the wise use wealth for God's glory and their good is seeing it as a blessing. Look at James chapter one, verse 17. It says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. So every good and perfect gift is from above. It's God's blessing. And in this case, the proverb we looked at, Proverbs 10, 22, is the blessing of the Lord makes rich. He adds no sorrow with it. It's a sense that there's no, there's no heartache that comes with it with the kind of blessing that God gives. Because the reality is we actually know, all of us have heard this, 
that it appears, I mean, look at like the lottery. People who live the lottery, who win the lottery, man, they seem mostly to be miserable. Matter of fact, a Harvard study found this was interesting, including that people who make between fifty dollars to $75,000 a year tend to be happier than those who make seventy-five dollars to $100,000 a year. And I know what you're saying, let me try. Oh, let me see how I can do that. Um, but the quote from the study, the more money we have, the more money wears off. Okay, so why? Because we see it as a blessing. If we see it as a blessing, it changes things. Actually, millionaires, for example, who earn the money themselves are significantly happy than those, happier than those who inherited it. So it's something to the idea that they earned it. It wasn't just sitting there. They didn't just take it for granted. For the super wealthy, you know, billionaires, uh, those are happy. Generosity seems to be the key to their happiness. Uh, and, and again, if you're super wealthy and you want your heirs, your children, those who are going to inherit your money to be happy, give your money away and let them make their own. That's what the, the studies have shown. So here it says, there's no guilt from gain made properly, right? When it comes from the Lord, it doesn't accompany sorrow. Uh, this is true, of course, in many things, including spiritual wealth. Okay, so five things, remember? The wise consecrate what they have to God, steward themselves and their things well, see their resources as a blessing. Number four, work with diligence. Work with diligence. Um, here's the, what it says in, in, in Proverbs 10, 4. It says, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Now, I don't like the word slack or the word slacker too much because I'm a Gen Xer. And if you're a Gen Xer, you know that they called you the slacker generation at first. It was kind of the thing that everyone called you at, at the beginning. And so, but here's the thing. I mean, this is not a cultural thing. This is an eternal biblical truth from the book of Proverbs. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. So this proverb reminds us that any man or woman who fails to pursue work energetically uh, is lazy. Now, let me, let me just pause for a second, because there are always other things that the Bible addresses in other places. This verse and this sermon does not address everything about every person here this day. For example, some of you might uh, be struggling with workaholism, Right, And so God has designed work for our good. We're to work at it diligently. You become obsessed with it in an unhealthy way. And I don't want you to leave this section of the sermon and say, I gotta work harder and work more. No, you might need, there, there are other verses that address this. But there are also a significant set of realities we need to consider here. Work is a gift from the Lord. Now, some people can't work. We know there are exceptions to that. We, we get all that, right? So that being said, generally, work is a gift from the Lord. Before the fall, before Adam and Eve sinned, Work was there. Uh, in, we think of heaven, right? And we maybe you see these cartoons as a kid where we're all floating on clouds with little arrows and just kind of, you know, just kind of constantly reclining and resting. That doesn't appear to be what the eternal state looks like. Work is part of who we are. Actually, one study found that for retired people who continue to work part-time or more doing work that they enjoy, they're actually happier and more fulfilled than those who fully retire. So our work is intended to give glory to God and a diligence to our work is part of our call as Christians. We actually see this in places like Colossians 3.17. It says this, it says, whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, let me show you, talk to you a little bit. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna we read a quote. It's actually from Wikipedia. You know, they can't put it on Wikipedia unless it's accurate. That's the rule there. Um, so, if you studied sociology in high school, you probably learned at some point about the Protestant work ethic. 
It's Protestant work ethic. So uh, we're evangelical Christians, we're Protestants in that term, where Protestants come from a historic stream of the Christian church. So that would be us. But I want you to listen. So the, the idea was, and, and this is contested and people debate these things, like they do all kinds of things. So I'm just reading from the Wikipedia article. It's pretty good. It says, for Protestants, salvation was a gift from God. And this is the Protestant distinction of sola gratia, grace alone. In light of salvation being a gift of grace, Protestants viewed work as a stewardship given to them. Thus, Protestants were not working in order to achieve their salvation, but viewed work as a means by which they could be a blessing to others. Hard work and frugality, hard work and frugality were thought to be two important applications of being a steward of what God had given them. Frugality, hard work, stewardship. These are all words that we've already looked at, right? Protestants were thus attracted to these qualities and supposedly strived to reach them. Now, here's the thing. Um, people can debate the Protestant work ethic. I think there's a biblical work ethic. I think we're called to work hard as unto the Lord. So prudent and diligent, these are values of work that really do matter. Um, now, now let's, let's take a look at this, for example. There's a passage in Proverbs that... Uh, well, let's look at this. Proverbs chapter six, beginning of verse six. Go to the ant, O sluggard. You know you got some stuff about to be said when the, when the word sluggard is in the opening sentence. So I actually was at Maranatha all week this week and Donna was supposed to come with me, but we had some, we're trying to sell her house, some challenges with that, so she couldn't come. And she's actually now, she's in Florida for a week. We didn't get to overlap at all. So, uh, so of course I'm missing my wife and that's great, but, but um, she's very kind and so she, she knew I'm gonna be here, and so she ordered some food, and the food was delivered to our front porch. Um, the problem is, it came, uh, the timing was off, so it sat out there for, for 24 hours. And, uh, and, and it didn't end well. So, um, but what happened was, not just that it didn't end well, what happened was, an ant found it and told all of its friends. And they told two friends, and they told two friends. And so when I go to pick up this box, right, I mean, it's just covered. You don't see it at first, but you pick it up, and then it's like hundreds of ants. So I took a picture of all the ants, and I texted it to Donna and said, look, more protein. Uh, so, but look at what the book of Proverbs, writer Proverbs says, go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise, without having any chief office or officer or ruler. Now, don't miss that, right? You see, we saw a minute ago in, in James to do your work, on Colossians, excuse me, do your work as unto the Lord, not unto men. And then this example in Proverbs is, is your boss isn't telling you to do it, your chief, your officer, ruler, but she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers food for the harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? Consider her ways and be wise, the ways of the ant, without having any, so, so we don't miss this, right? How long, right after, go on the next slide. It says, it says how long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep is a famous verse. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So this verse here, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, was kind of an early verse that I had read and learned, and I don't know when or where I was being discipled by a pastor and a volunteer youth director at the church I went to. He's a relatively new believer, and I knew this verse, and I got a job, and I got my first real job working at Burger King. And I love working at Burger King. Anybody else work at Burger King? Anyone have that? Oh, look, I see the Burger King. Yes, yes, yes. Anybody else? Okay, good. So, so I don't know about you. I still love Burger King. Working at Burger King made me love Burger King. Some people work at a restaurant and they say, I'm never going to that restaurant again. So not me, love Burger King, loved working there. So I started when I was, I don't know, 17. 
and, but really well, wanted to work as unto the Lord. So started working there and, uh, and, and it, was, it, was, it was fun. So I, I found, you know, you can actually start learning different stations and they give you a pin. You become an expert, right? So, so after three hours, you're, you're not, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So you about three hours, basically you do three hours of training on a station and you're an expert. So it's three hours to expertise, so that's cool. So, so I got my pin for the fry station, I got my pin for the broiler, and I got my pin for the front cashier. That was like a big pin, right? So, so, there was, so I was just earning my pins and I was totally buying in that pins were like so awesome. I was 17, I was motivated easily. Um, but this verse was a part of it too. I wanted to work as under the Lord. And so one day my boss, I don't remember his name, I think it was Pat, uh, he, he brings me into his office. And as you know, it's not an office, it's a chair and a table next to the broiler. So he brings me into the, to the office and he says, Ed, you're doing really well here. And, and eventually they made me the assistant night manager, which was super. I wasn't assistant to the regional manager, I was assistant night manager, which is important. So, so, um, so he said, Ed, you're doing well. Um, we wanna keep doing this and he gave me a little encouragement. But then he just, and I'd been there for months, and then he kind of just blurted, and I just let you know that because I generally don't hire Christians. I was just kind of out of the blue. Now, I'd been pretty uh, open with my faith, not inappropriately. I'd shared the, shared the faith with some people there, shared the gospel. Um, I, I would, I would not, not work Sunday mornings, but other times, work lots, worked overtime when I needed to. I, I valued working hard. And uh, so I said, so I said, Pat, uh, why, what, why, why, why? I mean, I'm a Christian, you know that. He says, yeah, that's why I'm telling you. I don't hire Christians because they tend to be lazy and entitled. And I was like, okay then. Well, thanks for letting me know. Now, it wasn't that he had, I mean, it wasn't like someone of another religion who was anti-Christian religion. I don't think he was an atheist. I, I, I don't know that we ever talked that through. It was decades ago anyway. Uh, but he basically said, Mike, his experience was that too often they didn't want to work hard. And he was graciously saying I was an exception to that, which is great. But here's the thing. Um, I don't think it's true that most Christians are lazy and entitled anywhere close. But I do think for some of us, what the Lord has for us today is the word diligence and the example of the ant, because what the Lord would have for us today is to indeed do what the writer of Proverbs says and look to the ant, consider her ways. We are called to be people who indeed, as a part of our witness, work hard. And I, I think it matters that we not miss that. Number, number five, number five. Remember, we're walking through five things here. The wise consecrate what they have to God, steward themselves and their things well, see their resources as a blessing, work with diligence, and number five, live with generosity. So lastly, generosity, number five on our outline. We'll look at a couple of verses related to that. Uh, the first one is um, Proverbs eleven twenty five. 25. It says, a generous person will prosper, but whoever, uh, whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Now, here's the thing, I want you not to miss this. It's very hard for you to get to word number five without one, two, three, and four. If you haven't consecrated what you have to the Lord, you're not stewarding and living underneath your means. If you're not seeing your resources as a blessing that they are, if you're not working with diligence, ger generosity seems like a far way off. Also, some of you know, we just came through our Limitless campaign. You're like, Ed, are you gonna talk about generosity now? And actually, I'll touch on it because you can't faithfully look at the book of Proverbs and not talk about generosity. It's a recurring theme. And so I would just, we would be honest in the summer wisdom and not acknowledge that that's part of it. And I'm so blessed and privileged that the Stetzers get to participate in the Limitless campaign. Um, because again, over the course of our life, we have not always 
stewarded well, consecrated all to the Lord, seen it as a blessing, worked with diligence. We've not, but there are times we were. We find ourselves in debt. Um, when we had to steward, we had to re- recommit our, our, our finances to the Lord. I mean, right after that time, we didn't declare bankruptcy, but I got a second job. We, we went down from two cars to one car. We got out of debt. We made that path forward so we could live generously. We love the privilege and the opportunity to be generous. And one of the things we love too is, I mean, even with our Limitless campaign, you can actually see, I mean, you go in the, and I, after, after service, I'll, I'll be out there in the, in the lobby. But there's a video there that shows some of the things we're doing in the facility. And, and one of the things you'll see is just how we're prioritizing the care centers. And even in our own giving, you know, we want to prioritize the poor and those without. Uh, Proverbs 14.21 says, whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. So, so again, for, for us, these are all connected one to another. Now, wisdom literature is the genre. Proverbs is wisdom literature. Some people actually point to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, uh, the Savior's Sermon, and they say that sounds a lot like wisdom literature, and it does in some ways. Um, Let me read from, as we close, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Here's what it says. It says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy or where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Look at that last sentence though. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Would you mind just reading that last sentence out loud with me? Let's do it together. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we hear that and we hear the word treasure. So we think that means a lot, but treasure just means what you got. Not a lot, just means what you got. You might have a lot of treasure, you might have a little treasure. And so for me along the way, you know, we were, I mentioned that we went to college and we moved to the inner city of Buffalo, New York to plant a church among the urban poor. We got married at 20, don't tell our daughters. And then we moved off to plant a church. And it was a really challenging neighborhood and challenging time in Buffalo. It was in the middle of the, what's called the crack epidemic of the late, of the early 90s. Well, we bought a house. Um, I don't know, 23, 24 years old, we bought a house and um, bought it for $70,000. It was in a challenging neighborhood. Um, I was a contractor at the time, so we, um, I started working on it. I was planning a church in the evenings and working as a contractor and remodeling homes in the day. And so we, I put about $17,000 of like, I got receipts for $17,000 that I put into that house and then my own labor. So we bought it for 70. We fixed it up so it's worth 87 at least. And then the neighborhood really turned bad. Uh, it was a drive-by shooting, two doors down, all the property values collapsed. And there we found ourselves. And, and I was, at that time, we finished up our assignment planting this church in Buffalo. We went down the road two hours to Erie, Pennsylvania and planted another church. We couldn't sell the house. So I was driving back almost every week, fixing something on the house, hoping the tenants would be taking care of this or that. The neighborhood was really not going well. And my heart was there. I didn't have a lot, but my heart was there. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And we actually had to get to the place where we we sold it. We ended up selling it for $40,000. So there's a significant lesson here for you. Do not let Ed Stetzer invest your money. Um, But for us, that became a burden. And times when we got caught up and we wanted to buy more and more to keep up with the Joneses, that our treasure was, our heart was also. So I want you not to miss that all of these words together lead us to the conclusion that it ultimately is about the Lord, not about our possessions, about our savior, not about our stuff. The wise consecrate what they have to God, steward themselves and their things well, see their resources as a blessing, work with diligence and live with generosity. 
And when we've done that, our resources are a joy. Even when we've had a little, or when we've had a lot, our resources are a joy. I want you to walk with the wise when it comes to your wealth. Right? These five words, I don't know which one for you is the area what you want to address, but would you just look at these five words and we're going to pray and say, Lord, where might you speak to us about one of these words in my life at this time? Would you take a moment and pray with me? Lord, we come before you today and these words of wisdom throughout the book of Proverbs about how to, how to address our wealth, how to address our resources are before us right now. And Father, it's going to be different for for each of us at different times, but these are all gonna be universally true. But for some of us, the struggle today is consecration. We come before you, Lord, with those who struggle with consecrating and saying, all that I have is yours, Lord, and we ask your grace. Just right now, would you just say to the Lord, maybe this is hard for you, maybe it's easy for you. I want you to think about everything you have, good or bad, whether it's a little or a lot, and say, Lord, I consecrate that to you. This is yours, Lord. Everything I've got is yours. As a follower of Jesus, it's yours. And maybe for you that's easy, maybe for you that's hard, but let's talk about stewardship. I want you to think about right now how you're stewarding what you have, living within or below your means, managing those things well. If that's a struggle for you, say, Lord, help me. Just help me by your grace to reprioritize, to to make the necessary decisions to steward what I have. Maybe you can just thank the Lord for the privilege of stewarding what you have had. Could you take just a moment and think of the blessing? It's the third word here. Can you just thank the Lord for the blessing that you have? You say, Ed, I'm struggling financially, but compared to history and compared to the world, I'm blessed. Probably not a person here that can't say thank you, Lord, for something in some way. Maybe diligence. Maybe the Lord was speaking to your heart when I was talking about hard work and you say, no, I got to work on that. Maybe that's not an issue for you. You got to work on rest. You know, let the Lord speak as he speaks. Let him guide you. But if diligence is for you, say, Lord, help me to build that work ethic, that Christian commitment to do as unto the Lord, not as unto men. And then generosity is before us. Many of us are blessed to participate in our limitless campaign. Maybe you didn't, but now you say, you know, I think I will. Whatever it is, you find that place and space for generosity in your life. Father, we thank you. We thank you for wisdom that is so evident and present in the book of Proverbs. May you guide our hearts and may we ultimately see you glorified in our lives and in our possessions. For it's in Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen and amen.